Film Review. My name is Brian Stevens, and with me, as always, Colin Smith. Robot Colin Smith. <laughs> uh, I tried to do a monotone voice, and I'm not sure it worked. Why would you try and do a monotone voice? You were always doing voices. I, I can do a voice too. I don't think monotone, unless you're doing an impression of Ben Stein. What is a what is a monotone voice really? I I don't know, Colin. It was it failed on on many levels. It did. What if you I, you failed me on many levels what was the Will Ferrell, Will Ferrell car- I, dude I've already had so much trouble talking today <laughs> this is gonna be a fun episode yeah the Will Ferrell character on SNL where he only has one yeah. I talk like this all the time it's, it's something about like voice modu- modulation syndrome yes like, there you go yeah yeah. That, maybe that's what I was going for or I'll pretend that's what I was going for that's a great sketch <laughs> what is this podcast about what are we, uh, what are we doing? welcome to the SNL podcast mm-hmm. um so, this week on the Midnight Film Review, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, marketing campaigns, viral marketing, with the uh, recent happening in TIFF, which hasn't been confirmed as a marketing ploy, but for the movie Raw, where two people fainted. It's been, it's been confirmed by, by Colin as a marketing ploy. The, the verdict is still out for Brian, but uh, we'll see. I, I'm a man of, of concrete evidence, of science and s- solid numbers. Uh-huh. Not true. Uh, um, then we're going to do a couple media hot takes. Colin is going to return uh, to his normal form. No, no. I'm, I'm leaving my normal form. Normal form is I don't have a media okay, hot take. Correct. Yeah. He's going outside the box with a media hot take. Oh, yeah. Going to have a hot take outside the box. Just, I'm going to droop myself over the edge of the box and drop a hot take on the floor. <laughs> I have a, I have a media hot take, uh, as usual. I'm excited for yours. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> then uh, we will talk about Bloodfather, uh, Mel Gibson's return to, I, yeah, to, to film, to film, to acting, to acting. Yeah. Is it though, or I mean, so did did Bloodfather go straight to DVD? It must have, right? Did it do theatrical release? It's, I think it's still currently uh, considered a theatrical release. It might be showing in certain areas. Well, that's confusing. Uh, it, I don't have anything concrete with that. I, but see, the, I feel like the Beaver, uh, which I or, right, it was called the Beaver. <laughs> yeah. Which I didn't see, but he got praised for. Jodie Foster directed. Mm-hmm. That wasn't too long ago. Yeah, but you can't see his face. It doesn't count. Okay. Um, that's how that works. That's how that works. I just want you to know. I hear so I hear <laughs> Bloodfather, and the first thing I think of is Blood Ocean from Metalocalypse. <laughs> Blood Ocean. <laughs> to- totally unrelated, but uh, yeah. Blood Ocean. Th- this is this was an odd week for us, though. So we didn't have a lot of choices as far as new releases. We could have went and seen Sully, but. Which got pretty decent reviews on uh, our Rotten Tomato and Metacritic, but once again, that's not really up our wheel in our wheelhouse. Yeah, I, honestly, I feel like that probably would have ended up being a better decision. I, I think you're but, right. Uh, Hindsight's twenty twenty, Colin. It, you know what? It really is, man. It really is. We can't always pick the right movie. We've we've done a fairly good job, I think, up to this point. We've had a few questionable choices here and there, but. Thought we'd do something a little different, something that's not uh, usually. Normal. Yeah, usually when we go, when we go outside rogue. of our yeah, go rogue. We go Sarah Palin, um, <laughs> get all mavericky. Uh, it ends up 
working out well for us. And uh, I don't, I don't think so much this time. So you win some, you lose some. It's true. Uh, Box Office Mojo does not have a record for Bloodfather, so it may, it may have been straight to. to I think, TV. I think it was pooped out straight to, straight to Amazon. Pooped out. It has an eighty-seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. It, but for yeah. those who listened to our, our, our last episode, no. Yeah, but that is so high for binary. Like that's mm-hmm. unbelievably high. That, right. I yeah. Um, I mean, Metacritic is is still I think in the green in the green zone. Uh, I think it's in the sixties somewhere, which is very very respectable for Metacritic. Be interested to see if any of our listeners watched Bloodfather and their opinions on it. So, how did you hear about Bloodfather? I'm kind of curious because this was I, I'd like to firmly pin. The responsibility on you. Sure. This is this is not my fault. I saw a couple of of reviewers that I follow um, tweet about it, and they tweeted good things. So, do you still follow them? <laughs> yes, yes, I do. It's, it is a sixty-seven on Metacritic based on fourteen reviews. Yeah, that's. We'll get into that review. Let's not jump. Okay, the yeah. No, jump I, the you know what? I don't. I don't think I jumped anything. <laughs> I'll jump you. I'll jump you right now. Somebody help. <laughs> um, so all right. So let's talk a little bit about what happened. So this movie, Raw, also known as Grave, uh, debuted at TIFF over the weekend. Or was it yesterday? I think it was, right. maybe it was Tuesday. I don't know. You didn't read the article either. I, I read. I just don't remember the date. Okay, you jerk. <laughs> You big fat jerk. Hey, I read it. I don't remember it either. Yeah, that's uh, right. So, this movie is about a girl. It's a French film. It's a horror film about this girl who joins. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, that's better. Oh no, it's back. Hey. There, there's a horse-related earthquake going on. <laughs> Always fun and exciting here at the Midnight Film Review. Never a dull moment. Uh, so, <laughs> Raw Raw is about a a girl who goes to veterinary school, and she's a vegetarian, but of course, just like every college in America, she is hazed. And part of her hazing is eating weird stuff, rabbit liver, what have you. This causes her to de- develop a taste for flesh, and that taste for flesh ends up leading to cannibalism. Well, according to reports, two people fainted during the watching of this of this film. Uh-huh. Ambulances were called. Yeah. Uh, medics were were there. Treatment was given. Mm-hmm. Colin is skeptic because the interview given was by who? Colin? Uh, by the director of marketing for the film. A credible source when <laughs> <laughs> people are too disturbed by your horror film to continue watching. Um, yeah. So I first thing I said was this is obviously a viral marketing campaign. Brian is remains <laughs> unconvinced. Um, <laughs> it's not necessarily that I'm unconvinced. It's so there hasn't been anyone to really call them out on their on their shit. Yeah, but why I mean I, I'm not <laughs> What so? Posting an article like the two people fainted at this horror film screening, I think is going to get more clicks than dubious, 
dubious sources report faint, you know, yeah, like the debunking right. the marketing person at this shade. And what, I guess, what do they have to gain by calling out said marketing? Yeah. I just, I can't imagine seeing something that I know is fiction that is so shocking that, that it causes you to faint. That it causes me to faint, or any really adult. Especially if you go to a movie, you willingly go to watch a movie that's about cannibalism. <laughs> it just seems like a pretty obviously, obviously scripted marketing stunt. Uh, we did um, we did hear similar things about the Green Inferno, uh, that Ross film. Mm-hmm. It wasn't fainting; it was like vomiting or getting mm-hmm. sick. There, you know, this this is something that's happened in several movies, and there's a horse eating in the I'm, background. I'm really hungry. I'm sorry. I can't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> just just chewing those morsels one by one. Record, recording here, Brian's menagerie um, <laughs> slash large and small animal sanctuary. Uh, yeah, well, so I don't know if you remember. Conjuring uh, two, there was a there was a weird news article circulating, and the great thing is that the the way these work is there is like one report, and then like eighty thousand shitty shill Hollywood news sites repost the yeah, same right. sourced article, and they just reference like the pers- the website they copied it yeah. from and. Um, but it was it was I think in India, right? Oh yes. Somebody yeah, the, apparently the, supposedly disappeared yes. from the theater yeah. while watching the Conjuring. Yeah. Yes, which is just that, yeah. Th- I think the first Conjuring there was um, uh, the original the, first, the original yeah. Conjuring. So people were having heart attacks uh-huh. supposedly. I don't know if you remember that. Mm-mm. That that has also been a, a ploy for Paranormal Activity. I, I believe the first one. It was so scary. People were. Dropping like flies. Yeah. Well, so if we're if we're back to moving back to paranormal activity, I think para, paranormal para, was I going to say paranormal activity um, took it a step beyond, uh, and it, it didn't. They didn't use viral marketing in the sense that Blair Witch did, which we'll talk about, or even Cloverfield. But what they did is they. I don't know if you remember, the trailers featured almost no footage of the actual film. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, it was all audience shots, right? It was all night vision audience shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also, they would cap the trailer with something like um, demand that paranormal activity gets shown in, you know, at, in a theater near you or something. Uh, That's right, yeah. And I... I don't. We sh- we should have looked this up. I feel like that was totally a ploy. Like it, it was already getting screened right. Um, right. Yeah. everywhere. So the idea is like, oh man, like I wonder if this is coming here, and then it is, and they go see it because right. they're one of the you know lucky, lucky regions to, that, yeah. to get this because terrifying that, movie screen. It, it got wide distribution from a from a, a distribution house, so mm-hmm. it wasn't like they were indie. It, it wasn't like they were um, doing it themselves. Yeah, they, they had wide distribution, so I think you're right. Which is that's a that's a really brilliant idea too. I, but so we'll we will go back to start. We will we will go back and talk about Blair Witch that kind of started started it all. But I feel like these good viral marketing campaigns have been successful. Like yeah. they, I mean, Paranormal Activity One made a 
butt ton of money. Sam Soda, Blair Witch. Yeah. Cloverfield was a surprise hit. The thing that those all have in common, though, is they're all found footage films. Uh, so I think it makes it maybe a little easier to go the viral route because you don't have huge movie stars. You're not relying on big-name actors as much as uh, a conceit for mm-hmm. a film. The one thing that popped up when we were looking at this was... Well, there was two that kind of were interesting. Prometheus did had a whole uh, website where... <laughs> The actors or people involved gave TED Talks, mm-hmm. uh, fake TED Talks, obviously. That is a unique idea. Uh, it's, I haven't seen anything really like that before. And then 2012 uh, set up a fake government agency uh, called the, what was it, the uh, Human Continuity something yeah. that NASA had to create another website saying, the world is not ending in 2012, please calm down, because they were getting hassled with so many phone calls. What they really should have said is... Please preemptively kill yourself. <laughs> Before you see and this film. No, it like like the world is ending, just like the Mayans predicted. <laughs> if you don't want to be damned to Mayan hell, <laughs> then you have to, the only solution is to take your take your own life. <laughs> take your and own. that would I think that would have been good for America. Um, I, I wonder how many people I just offended. Probably a lot. I hope so. And people, there's people who like 2012 or 2012. I, those people definitely should have killed themselves. <laughs> there's still time. Please, if you enjoyed the movie 2012 and you listen, nobody. I really hope nobody who enjoyed that movie listened to the podcast. Oh, uh, you're just asking. You're if asking you, for hate mail. If you enjoyed the movie 2012 and you are literate and didn't have somebody download this podcast for you. <laughs> Write us an email at midnightfilmreview at gmail.com. You can even address it to Colin. Tell me why you enjoyed 2012. <laughs> I, can't, um, I can't wait for this. Oh, uh, Colin. I'm really curious. I don't, I don't think that's a real thing. So we're super off topic, but uh, back to... We'll get into these other films and sort of alternate viral marketing in a, in a second. Um, but this idea that a horror film caused such an extreme reaction to an audience uh, doing a little research it dates back even farther um, in, in fact the Exorcist uh, I was finding reports of local news channels and, and and this is true viral marketing because this is not run out of by a marketing director right. uh or out of a studio budget somewhere, um, but there were there were local news reports where people were, you know, vomiting or having fainting in the theater. Right. Um, you know, who knows if it's true? But uh, yeah, as far back as The Exorcist, this idea that horror films were so scary they could cause this intense reaction um, has been kind of floating around, and I, I guess people just more recently have intentionally capitalized it but maybe maybe not maybe people were exploiting it before then it's just records don't really point to it or the advent of the internet changed the way we remember and perceive it um but yeah i so let me so before we move on and talk a little bit more about the blair witch and cloverfield I found an article finally that tries to shine a little light on the situation. 
This is ScreenRant.com. And they say there's no doubt that it, that paramedics did appear at the scene, as corroborated by multiple attendees, and that an ambulance did show up at the theater. We have photos. We contacted Toronto Paramedic Services, who confirmed that some of their ambulances do still carry the Toronto Emergency Medical Services markings shown in, in the photo, which there's a photo, despite the service's name being changed in 2014. However, Toronto Paramedic Services could not find any record of an ambulance being called to Ryerson Theatre where the screening took place at the time it occurred. Of course, the fact that a record couldn't be found when we called by no means proves that it's a publicity stunt. The ambulance did show up at the screening had markings that matched the vehicle currently used by the emergency service. While it's possible that the ambulance was fake and both audience members and the paramedics were actors, this seems like a pretty complicated and potentially expensive publicity stunt for such a small-scale movie. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm starting to lean more your way on this probably was a publicity stunt. You made, uh, you made a valid point. But here's the thing. It worked because I I would have if you just told me the conceit of the film or like the plot of the film I probably would have wanted to see this film anyways because I think it's kind of different and interesting and French <laughs> but now I'm very curious to see it I think that 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 level of uh, of marketing or ingenuity in a way to be to be done at a TIFF, usually these things are not done at a film festival. They're usually done at uh, like local screenings or screenings, uh, openings like in LA and New York and in in uh, Chicago. So th- that to me shows that they're really trying to push this film hard, and it got good reviews. Although I would be really pissed if my viewing got stopped because somebody passed out and it didn't really happen. Like if you're really dying. And they, the paramedics show up fine. If you're faking or as part of a marketing plan, I'd be kind of pissed to, to interrupt my viewing pleasure that way. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. I mean, what do they do? Stop the film? I, I don't know. You know, I don't really know how they handle that. Uh, I feel like any publicity they have gained has probably outweighed pissing off the critics in attendance. True. Uh, you know? I, I don't know. Let's talk a little bit about Blair Witch, though. The, the, yeah. be, the beginning of, of, of a real um, viral marketing campaign using the internet as well as other media. Yes. Tell us a little bit about it. Do you, do you remember your reaction? How old were you when Blair so Witch? So Blair Witch is actually is before my time. Um, Blair Witch, I think, was, was 99? 99, yeah. Um, so I would have been... Uh, 11 years old. Um, Damn, I'm old. Yeah, you old, you old bastard. I was 17 when it came out. Yeah. Um, so I don't... I, I mean, I remember seeing... The, I remember the hype surrounding the movie, and I remember people sort of arguing about whether or not it was authentic found footage which is just kind of in ridiculous it seems ridiculous in retrospect but uh right yeah so even if i had been of age or older we never had cable in my house so i wouldn't have been able to see the the famous mm, right. infamous documentary or um you know i actually i did have internet access but i was using it to 
play Diablo and read Diablo <laughs> message boards. Probably <laughs> that's about it. It's uh, not interested in investigating the potential for, you know, missing missing persons associated with this this recovered film. So for those that don't remember or weren't alive or even know what we're talking about, there was a huge campaign that went online. There was a website listing uh, the three actors in the film that listing saying they were missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in these woods in Maryland, I believe it was. Yeah, I don't remember where wherever the film was shot. Let's keep keep. Going. I believe it was Maryland. Yeah, there were family members, quote unquote family members. I don't know if they were really fam- family members of of the actors or not. Would go go on uh, news stations, local news stations. Uh, I believe I saw. I mentioned I saw one, an interview on CNN. They went on uh, Sci-Fi and did a, a fake. Documentary, a mockumentary about the Blair Witch, the history of that area, the haunting of the Blair Witch, the the case, looking for these for these kids, and like you said, in retrospect, it just all seems really silly. But I remember being seventeen years old and being like, "This is sweet. I can't wait to see this movie. This is found footage. This 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 really happened." And. Watching the movie, it's a weird feeling to be like, "What's going on? Is this? Is this? Is this?" And I honestly left the theater not knowing it was real. And then slowly over that weekend, I think the cast showed up on Letterman uh, and Leno. They started to talk about the, the viral marketing, and it became obvious that this really wasn't a true story. Even though the film tells you explicitly in the beginning, this is a true story. We found this footage. It was something that was completely wholly unique to that time period and really felt new and fresh. Uh, and I think that that went a long way because I've, I've tried to watch the film, and not fairly recently, but a few years ago, and it doesn't quite live up to that. And I've, But I've also had... I'm not a fan of found footage films so but yeah yeah so the basically um and what's interesting is that the viral marketing campaign was kind of started by the filmmakers and then once artisan uh picked up distribution rights this this is something i did not know so the film had was shot on a sixty thousand dollar budget uh, Artisan actually spent twenty five million dollars on marketing. Wow, um, that's th- and that. So this is again this this is according to a single source. So maybe the article we're sourcing is wrong, but um, so they they refused to run theatrical trailers, uh, but they spent a lot of money on alternative viral marketing. Um, there was no YouTube, so. The uh, there's a there's an interesting Den of Geek article that talks about it, and they kind of posit that the internet was the state of the internet. It kind of spread inform this information enough to generate interest, but not in an organized enough fashion for people to kind of like group together and debunk it, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, so it it was kind of like a you know the perfect time for this this sort of viral marketing to to work or to work in this way um but yeah the 
the sci-fi documentary is uh, is is especially brilliant. Um, and then the fact that uh, artisan, you know, kind of pretended like they didn't want to release this footage, mm-hmm. uh, you know, something like that. Like they were being um, forced to release yeah, the footage. Yeah, basically. Um, but, uh, yeah. So sci-fi, I, it doesn't really say when, but there was a documentary. In, in quotes, on the Sci-Fi Channel <laughs> yeah. about the filmmakers, uh, which treated them as if they were missing, um, and as if it was there was an authentic investigation into what happened to them. Um, I guess the idea is that like the only there there were things found of theirs, like a car, and yeah. then there was a duffel bag full of audio and video recordings, mm-hmm. and that's what the movie consists of. Um, Curse of the Blair Witch is what I believe that it was called. Yeah. You know what the scariest thing of all this is? They shot 19 hours of footage for this film. (laughs) Can you imagine how boring that would be? Like, can you imagine what Blair Witch would look like if it it was... No. I mean, it's just awful. Uh, I, I feel like this, the film is... Ex- yeah, exists in a very special time and place, and viewing it without like a cultural context, it probably does not mean very much to anybody. No, I agree. Uh, there's not That's... almost nothing happens in the film. Um, <laughs> no, it's... there's a lot of the characters yelling at each other, uh, sounds happening off camera, um, quick, quick camera movements. Uh, you know. And there, you know, <laughs> it just, uh, it, I think it was just so novel at the time and the, the, the marketing campaign was so successful that here's a, another cool thing. Uh, the IMD page listed the actors as missing, presumed dead. Yeah. Well, so we're, we've been kind of treating Blair Witch like it was unique, um, the truth of the matter is Blair Witch actually followed uh, followed a pattern or followed a path created by another film uh, and basically added the internet in the mix. Uh, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, the famous, <laughs> famous Ruggiero Deodato film, Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> okay. Uh, which was released in 1980. Um, it's an Italian film, but it's shot in English. Um, and this film is as famous, is more famous for being controversial than anything yeah, else. Right. Uh, but th- again, it's shot. So this is this is 20 years before Blair Witch. Shot documentary style. Um, shot on location basically in the Amazon. Uh, and as part of the contract for the three main actors involved, um, they were forced to go into hiding <laughs> upon completion of the film. I did not know that. The, there are scenes of, there are actual scenes of animal execution in the film, like real, yeah. you know, animals being murdered. Uh, and that combined with the graphic depictions of death and cannibalism in the film um, 
Deodato, Deodato was tried for murder in Italy. Jeez. Uh, yeah. And, well, he would not tried for murder, but basically obscenity uh, with the idea that he made a snuff film, right? Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't until one of the actors came out of hiding and testified at the trial that people kind of accepted that this wasn't real. This was just a, an elaborate wow. hoax. For I them. didn't know any of that. I mean, I've, no, I've obviously heard of Cannibal Holocaust, but I've never seen it. Yeah. Um, so after that, it was immediately banned in a bunch of countries. Uh, it was banned in Italy. Uh, and it's an Italian film. Um, banned in Australia. I believe it was banned in, uh, in America. Um, but... The only reason I have ever heard of it, not because it's like a classic gore exploitation uh, film, but just because of how controversial it is. It's one of those things that people talk about you should see, you know, just because it's yeah. it's so iconic. Right. Um, the, the only, it's really hard to watch knowing that real animals are that, being killed yeah. in a film. Um, it's the most unpleasant part for me, definitely. Uh, I agree. But there, I mean, right there, we have the blueprint for Blair Witch, right? Yeah. So I've never read anything that kind of connects Cannibal Holocaust (laughs) and the Blair Witch Project. But the only difference is the Blair Witch had a major production studio that eventually Mm -hmm. spent money on media appearances and this documentary... uh, Whereas Deodato just made such a fucked up, brutal <laughs> film, and that combined with the actors going into hiding and him presenting the film yeah. as a found footage documentary, or that it's not found footage because he shot it, right? Yeah, That's right. the idea. He was the director. He shot it. He's the only one that made it back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just kind of really cool and crazy to think about. I can't believe it took somebody twenty years to, to capitalize on that idea. To capitalize on that and and do do take it to the next level. It, but it, it does feel like too that that Blair Witch was a little bit of a perfect storm because of the internet being so young and uh, so ripe for the type of marketing that they used and that found footage not really being done before. Not saying they got lucky because obviously they were smart enough to think of all these things when no one else had, but it just it seems like a little bit of a perfect storm because the movie made how much? Blair Witch made uh, what two? I mean, two hundred forty million dollars or something like that. Yeah, it made it made the it made gobs <laughs> of cash. Yeah, I mean, even with the marketing budget, it uh, it just it killed. Roll, I mean. Rolled in the the dough. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? With marketing and viral marketing? No, I mean, I, I sort of enjoyed... Uh, the. I think the only novel viral marketing we've seen really recently was uh, Deadpool. Yeah. Kind of touched on. Um, where Ryan Reynolds, in character as Deadpool, did a totally unrelated to the film promotions for, for, uh, for the film... Uh, Advocating yeah. testicular cancer and breast cancer awareness, and uh, just just the whole style of marketing, the the meta self aware yeah. style of marketing, and like the the Blu-ray commercial, which is basically 
a Viagra commercial. <laughs> yeah. Who had th- with Deadpool swapped in? Um, that that was that, you're right. That was brilliant. Other, I think other movies have tried to do viral viral campaigns, but it seems that they all. <sighs> Well, they, they kind of, I mean, so I think Cloverfield was a good example because basically they they released almost no information. Yeah. Um, but they had a series of cryptic websites mm-hmm. and sort of a breadcrumb slash puzzle trail. And the internet obsessed over that, uh, trying to figure out what, mm-hmm. what was really going on, if there was information about the film. Um, a lot of other films have sort of tried to follow that paradigm. Uh, and, I, I mean, The Dark Knight was one mm-hmm. that was sort of successful. But the, the sort of cryptic website tie-in. But nobody has been as successful as Abrams in uh, basically using restricted uh, promotion as a way to generate hype. Right. Which is a, it is a viral marketing strategy. It sure is, yeah. So that that's kind of the other one that is out there I, I just don't I don't think it was as prolific as no. Blair Witch but right. you know successful nonetheless so well if we missed anything uh, go ahead and email us at midnightfilmreview at gmail.com we're going to move into our email segment um, I'll read the first two and I'll leave Adam's email for you alright um, so our famous contributor Rob Bob he's famous now right this is yeah, he's podcast famous on this podcast. <laughs> he emailed and said, Gentlemen, dick's out for Harambe. Sent from my iPhone that already has its dick out. Not a question. We've, Wait, we've shot ourselves in the foot. That's such, it's such a stupid, pointless meme. Like uh, Harambe or dick's out for Harambe? Dick's out for Harambe. What about tits out for Harambe? Uh, it's a, very, a variation on a theme. It's it's something a dumb Twitter person said, you know, or a dumb you, you know. It doesn't mean anything. It's just it it's it's like something vulgar that a teenager would say and think they were cool and it was funny, and everybody's repeating it. I, f- I feel old. <laughs> you sound like I feel get off my lawn. I mean, Clint Eastwood. Yeah, what, why? What is what is wrong? Why is that a thing? That's it. I'm done. Okay. Off your soapbox. Okay. Now Rob has a real email. Yes. It says, hey, fellas, what are the two most macho lines ever in movie history? The best is Bruce Willis from Pulp Fiction. After he totals his girl- girlfriend's car, he says, sorry, baby, I had to crash that Honda. Only a macho dude could get away with such an explanation. If I said that, I'd be murdered. Second place goes to Kurt Douglas, who said, you ain't the first dame to wind up at- on the bottom of the deck. Ouch, I forget the movie. I wish I was cool. Sent from my iPhone, made of pure beef. Probably Overboard is what I... Is, right? Kurt Douglas? Overboard? Goldie Hawn? He's talking about bottom of the it's deck. Kurt, Kurt Russell, man. What? What did I say? What? What What'd I say? Kurt. Oh, Kurt Douglas. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I don't know what that's from. Maybe he meant Kurt Russell. Kurt Douglas. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like... Uh... God, I what's what is macho like? Machismo. Well, yeah. Like, does it have to be directed at a woman? Like, 
Oh, I see. Uh, I, I guess, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Both of those I, both of those lines were directed at women. I think Is we that... might need more clarification from Rob Bob on, on what exactly he means. Yeah, I mean, uh, man, macho, macho lines. I'm trying to... I guess, like, one... Schwarzenegger one-liners don't really count, do they? No. No. One of my... <laughs> I, 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 my favorite... One of my favorite lines is... is it, it actually is is directed at the only female character in the film, in Commando. Yeah. Uh, where the, the little guy, who's also in the Warriors, like, they have a car chase, and he beats him up, and he's interrogating him. Yeah. And he holds him over a cliff, and then th- just l- drops him. And he comes back, and he, I guess he, he, like, told the woman he wouldn't hurt him or whatever. And she's like, what'd you do with him? And Arnold goes, I let him go. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Flawless. 10 out of 10. Love that line. And so, the most macho, one of the most macho characters that I can think of is, I mean, other than John Wayne is Kurt Russell, but Kurt Russell was kind of doing a John Wayne a little bit. But I had to look it up because I wanted to nail it right. Is First of all, there's tons of macho stuff being said by Jack Burton, the character about Jack Burton and Big Trouble Little China. One of my favorite is he says, like I told my last wife, I says, honey, I never drive faster than I can see. Besides that, it's all in the reflexes. That to me is one of the... One of the best. Yeah, I mean, you could, you could, you could pick a ton. Yeah, man, I w- I'm, I'm back to Arnold again. What about the Predator classic? <laughs> if it bleeds, we can kill it. <laughs> yes, that's that's. A, I love that line too. Yeah. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Uh, it but basically said straight face. That's. I mean, like that. He's just being macho. Being macho, macho yeah. tough guy. Uh. I, I don't know. That's all I can come up with right now. Jack Bird in uh, Big Trouble Little China. Je- Jesse Ventura in Predator. You're bleeding, man. Ain't got time to bleed. <laughs> That's another great one. Yes. Super macho. Uh, so, Rob, I'll give us some clarification on exactly what you were looking for there. I mean, I think I think I can safely say Predator is the most macho movie of all time. I mean, you got, got Jesse Ventura. You got Schwarzenegger. You got Carl Weathers. You have that's uh, a yeah, the predator. Yeah, <laughs> you got the predator. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there you go. All right, so go ahead and read Adam's email for us, Colin. It's uh, it's a good one. All right, so Adam writes and says, "Hello, gentlemen. I want to say all oh, your base from blowing us. Yeah. Sorry, I've gone quiet on you. Rest assured, though, I listen to every episode Thanks. like some weird, weird pod, weirdy podcast voyeur. <laughs> you, I mean, you listen to us. You are." Yeah, weird. Clearly weird. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> we love you. I'm sorry. I've seen Morgan. I was the only person in the auditorium, but I was there. You need not feel responsible, though. I did it of my own accord. No one tells me which films to watch. Well, apart from my fiance, she's told me that I'm going to see Bridget <laughs> Jones' Baby. I can't wait. Adam, believe it or not, actually, it has good, pretty good yeah. Metascore and Rotten Tomatoes is a certified fresh, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just terrifying. What what has happened to the film industry? With the NFL season upon us, I would I thought it would be appropriate to compare Morgan to a season watching the Bengals. 
It has all of the ingredients for a Super Bowl run. Fantastic cast, giving good performances. Looks incredibly slick, but ultimately limps to an, uns- limps to an unsatisfying conclusion and a first-round exit in the playoffs. The twist was telegraphed and obvious from the start. So obvious, in fact, that I talked myself out of thinking it was a clever <laughs> double bluff. It wasn't. It's not a bad film. It has a foreboding atmosphere and feels like it's building to a thrilling climax, but it doesn't come. It's the most average film of the year so far. Well, fair enough. Uh, Your discussion about review aggregating sites was eye-opening to say the least. I use Rotten Tomatoes all the time. I had no idea who actually owned it, though. I still think it's a useful tool if I'm undecided about whether I watch a film or not. Uh, I look through the reviews to find the opinion of people I trust. I value the opinion of your good selves and usually agree with you, except with Ghostbusters. I'm not saying I think it was a classic, but it was fairly entertaining through the first two acts. I know nothing about any films that you've mentioned possibly watching this week, though. Good news. We didn't (laughs) watch any of them. (laughs) Right. Uh, And I do like Tom Hanks. Though I do like Tom Hanks, I'd much rather look at Kate Beckinsale. Wouldn't we all? Yeah. Especially Brian. Until next time, go Finns. Go Uh, Finns. Yeah. Uh, Great email. Yeah, so... the, I'm glad he reviewed. So he, there's Adam's media hot take yeah. on Morgan. We, official. We'll just canonize it now. Official review for the podcast of Morgan. Of Morgan, which weirdly that review made me want to see it. It's exactly what I thought it would be, based on what I've seen and what I've read. It just feels like a movie that I would enjoy, kind of watching at home, not paying a lot of attention to it. Maybe or there, maybe. there aren't enough hours in the day to watch bad movies. There's, there's so much good goodness right. out there You're in the correct. world to consume, you know? The, the one thing about the film that I, I really liked Anya, T- Anya Taylor-Joy in Witch. I did too, yeah. She was great. So I kind of wanted to support her way, but it's probably one of the movies that'll slide down to the bottom of my list and I'll just never see it. But thanks, Adam, for reviewing that. And um, Yeah, the, the most shocking thing about this is Adam liked Ghostbusters more than we did. Yeah, I think... I, Honestly, talking to people, I think a lot of people liked it more than we did. I I had fun during parts of it. I'm not going to... I don't want to really talk about this anymore, but <laughs> I, I had fun during... The ending was just so bad, it really ruined the majority of the film yeah. for me. Uh, so, thanks for the emails, guys. Email us at midnightfilmreview at gmail.com. We will read your emails. Clearly, we'll read anything. We, <laughs> we have no shame or scruples. We, we, we made a promise, and we will stick to it for now. <laughs> Better or worse. <laughs> Better or worse. Yeah. That's going to do it for this segment, Open Discussion. Let's, uh, let's move on and give some media hot takes, Colin. Media hot takes. with some media hot takes media hot takes Colin is sponsored by the horse <laughs> get ready the horse is shaking the table <laughs> and drinking water and eating food and it's loud and scratching and scratching but doesn't bark but doesn't bark <laughs> so you have been away from media hot takes for a while now I think it's only proper that you have first billing yeah I, I dropped the mic first yeah. and 
I don't know if it'll be ready for next week, but I have another one in the pipeline, in the works, if you will. In the oven? And I got another another bun in the. Oh God, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this week, miraculously, uh, still in theaters, Secret Life of Pets. Uh, I I promised my girlfriend we would go see it, and uh, true to my word, I Good managed man. I managed to Good get man. us there like seven minutes late. Uh, <laughs> Listen to the beginning of the film while holding her purse as she was in the bathroom. Um, but for all intents and purposes, I saw Secret Life of Pets. Uh, people, I heard a lot of comparisons to Toy Story, which is really a very, very superficial, not appropriate comparison, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, there's never any conceit that, like, these animals can communicate and they're just hiding it from the people or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, they're... Uh, well, anyway, that I mean, that's neither here nor there. Um, it's not a bad movie, but it's not a great movie. Uh, it's just... It was cute. There were some cute moments. It's pretty, for, pretty largely forgettable. Uh, the animations is good. Uh... Lucy K did an okay job, not really a great job. I don't know what kind of acting chops he has, but as a voice actor, he didn't feel like he had the range uh, that he needed to have. Um, actually, the best part of the film was, and I, I don't know the actress's name. I'll, I'll look it up here. I thought you were going to say Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart is funny, but... And he has great range. It's just uh, the the character is very manic, and that the film's not written very well. Um, <laughs> there are three groups of characters in the film, uh, and they they just it's not long enough. There's not enough screen time to get get you emotionally invested in even the main characters, the main two pets. They kind of, like, superficially establish what's going on and send you on your way. Uh, there's there's just nothing... Nothing about the film is very compelling. Um, Jenny Slate, actually, is who it is. Mm. Uh, and who you would know if you saw a picture of her. Um, she plays Gidget, who is the love interest, unbeknownst to Max, who's Louis C.K., his main character. Um, she organizes the the rescue party to go find him when he's lost. Uh, she does a great job with her voice performance. Um, uh, really, though, it, it just kind of like largely uninspired. Uh, a few funny moments, some weird stuff in the film, weird attempts at social commentary, but it the film doesn't really try to do anything particularly well and it just comes across as sort of a mishmash of a children's animated children's movie um doesn't hold it doesn't hold a candle to Zootopia but uh the good news is that Fear Not See Your Life of Pets 2 is in the works uh coming 2018 why not so uh they have a chance to roll the dice and try again um but uh yeah I, I don't know it just 
I, I just don't feel like there was a lot here. The film starts off with some endearing sort of pet tro- anthropomorphized pet tropes, which is, yeah. you know, oh, it's so funny. Like, you know, they're pets, but they're talking, but they're still, the cat still likes the laser pointer, you know, stuff like that. And it just, uh, yeah, they, they they needed to cut a group of characters out of the film and figure out how to make the audience care about the main characters for this to really go anywhere. Um, even my, my girlfriend didn't like it all that much. You know, she didn't hate it, but yeah. not maybe not the best use of uh, 15 bucks. So. It seemed like it would be right up her alley. She actually is sort of a... She is more critical of films than I am. It takes a lot wow. for her to really enjoy a film. Really? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, she's she's very hard to please. How about that? Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm sorry you said that. <laughs> well, she won't believe you, and she never listens to the podcast, so... There you go. So, are, is that it? Was uh, that... No, I'm done talking about it. Yeah, we're right. good. So, I watched a... A movie... This this what do you, what this, a jaw dropping thriller, it, uh, the blockbuster of the summer. It was a monster of money. That that was really bad. So I watched Money Monster this weekend on Friday. It's a movie my wife was looking forward to seeing. The 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 trailers and the. What are you laughing at? Why would anybody be looking forward to seeing that film based she, on the trailers? She was really intrigued. She, uh-huh. she first of all, she's a huge uh, Julie Roberts fan. A lot of women are. What? I, I, she is to me a very overrated actress. Put it that way. Yeah. I would like to maybe do a segment on why I hate Julie Roberts. I don't hate her, but the, you know the why I hate Forrest Gump. I don't hate the movie. You get, yeah. you get the point. So, for those of you who don't know, Money Monster stars George Clooney, Julie Roberts, Jack O'Connell, Dominic West. It's about a young man, Jack, played by Jack O'Connell, who loses his money because he listened to the advice of George Clooney's character, Lee, Lee Gates, on his popular investment television show, Money Monster. He takes his advice, loses $60,000, which is all the money he inherited from his uh, mother or grandmother's death. He has a baby on the way, and it basically just cost him everything. So he breaks into the studio, puts a bomb vest on George Clooney's character, and holds him ransom on live TV. This movie is... It's one of those films where, it, you know, maybe ten years ago, even eight or nine years ago it would have been a little bit more impactful right around the turn I feel like I feel like it needed to come right after the financial yeah collapse it would have felt definitely uh, it would have it would have felt important I think at that time yeah but also the the biggest problem with it is it doesn't make any sense they, they go about this and I don't want to give away I'm not trying to give away any spoilers but a company loses, misplaces $800 million, and it causes their stock to drop significantly, to, to go from being worth hundreds of dollars to like $8 or something like that. The, the frustrating thing about this movie 
is it just doesn't make sense. Nothing about it makes sense. No, nothing about the way the money is lost makes sense. The the lack of involvement by the government doesn't make sense. Like no one is questioning how they lost this money. They they tell you why and how they lost the money, but everyone is just saying, "Up, oh, that's what happens. It was a mistake." The I, I I'm trying really hard to dance around spoilers, but the performances are okay. Julie Roberts actually gives a very good performance uh, for for what this film is. Probably one of the best performances in the film. Jack O'Connell is fairly good. George Clooney is mostly wasted in this film. It was directed by Jodie Foster, who has had a pretty decent... I, I, I feel like her career of, of directing... She hasn't directed a ton of films, but for the most part, they've been generally well-received. I mentioned Beaver earlier. She's uh, directed episodes of House of Cards and Orange, Orange is the New Black. Um, Tales from the Dark Side in, in 1998 was her direct, director debut, but... She, this movie just feels uninspired and a lot of times I'm sitting there watching this film and I'm like wait a minute what why is he why is he trying to kill this guy again he lost $6,000 yes but why is it this guy's fault because you're dumb like you have it, it just makes you not sympathize at all with the main character if he was taken advantage of by the CEO of the company or he was misled by George Clooney as a person, you know, maybe he George Clooney is not just a TV personality, but gives one-on-one advice, something along those lines. I could see, but yeah. this dude is mad because a guy on television told him to invest money in something. It almost is like, and, and maybe this is a little too right-wing libertarian of me, but it's like if you're dumb enough to listen to this guy, then you're dumb enough to lose your money. Like, I don't really have sympathy for a character. In fact, it, I, I don't care to spoil this. So do you remember the trailer where his girlfriend is... They, they Yeah, that was everything we had. That was everything we had. Well, what, what they don't show you is her character is brutal to him. Basically telling him he's a piece of shit and he should kill himself. <laughs> she tells him, you're an idiot. You lost all of our money. I don't want to. I don't want to ever see you again. You're not going to be in this baby's life. Shoot yourself in the head. She says that to him. Nice. That, so, and you're thinking, yeah, dude, you're an idiot. You listen to this guy on TV and lost sixty thousand dollars. What? So, I don't know. The movie to me is a complete failure. Uh, I, I can't. I can't recommend this. It's one of those movies that, in the future, I think will be viewed as a. Why did they make that? A complete garbage film. It's written poorly. Nothing about it really is redeeming. There's nothing. There's nothing new here. It, it feels like you're being beat over the head with anti-capitalistic themes, which is fine if you have if you say it in a nuanced way. But this is just it. Feel it feels like propaganda in a way that is. Or if your film makes sense, the narrative in your film makes if, sense, if, even if, sort of a prerequisite. Yeah, that, that's another way to put it. If, if there is, if if you are making a statement, like there's like there's so much there's so many ways to go about like showing fraud in the banking system, 
And instead of like picking a, a way that like actual fraud, I mean, there's so many cases of of, of of fraud being exposed. Well, Wells Fargo recently just got exposed for literally stealing people's identity. And instead of like coming up with one of these ways, Enron, like there's so many different ways. You choose the most convoluted, like. I kind of want people to see this film just to see how stupid the the actual plot of this film is. It just doesn't make any sense at all. A computer glitch causes money to be lost. It just doesn't it doesn't happen. It's not realistic. So, yeah, that's my review of Money Monster. My hot take is it's a very bad movie that is poorly made and very, not very well acted. I don't I don't understand how script like what is wrong with this the system that you have a script that either flat out is ridiculous or maybe just doesn't make sense. And you spent millions of dollars shooting it. Like, yeah. How, how does that happen? How does that happen? It, 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 it's, it boggles the mind, too, when you have talent like... Julie Roberts and George Clooney. Julie Roberts doesn't make movies that often, so for you, for her to like choose this, read the script, and be like, "Oh yeah, I'm I, I this script. This is the one I'm gonna make this year." It just it's kind of it, it baffling. It, it kind of and this is me maybe projecting a little bit, but it feels like George Clooney is a very outspoken, um, left leaning personality, and it feels like this was a way for him to maybe put out some propaganda. To you know, say, look what these banks are doing to you. Look, look at the look at the way that they are mismanaging your money. But really, it's like, watch The Big Short because that's a way better takedown of the banking system than this. It, it's, I mean, it's honestly, The Dark Knight Rises does a better job of espousing this kind of uh, of platform. I don't, I don't know what else to say about it. It just. It's one of those films that has a clear agenda and wants to paint a picture of, of quote-unquote, the 1%. It just does a horrible job of doing it. Like, it doesn't... <laughs> it, sets your, it sets your agenda back because it's not well-made and it's not well-thought-through and the characters are so thin. They're just thin. You know what? I blame you for seeing it in the first place. You're the problem. And you gave him money. I gave him money, right? You, you know what? It's my fault. You son of a bitch. <laughs> well, you money monster. <laughs> Full circle. Boom. Boom. Nailed let's, it. Uh, let's move on from media hot takes and go into a review of Bloodfather. Let's, let's go from bad to less bad. <laughs> All right, let's do it. This is really happening, happening. Colin, it's time. It's time Gone to re- ocean. <laughs> time to review Mel Gibson's return to the big screen or the small screen. Yeah, not the big screen. With- I think we we kind of established that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> no, you're fine. With Bloodfather. Blood ocean. So Bloodfather stars obviously, like we said, Mel Gibson, and. The IMDb tagline says, An ex-con reunites with his estranged, wayward 17-year-old daughter to protect her from drug dealers who are trying to kill her. 
stars Aaron Moriarty as Lydia, his daughter, Diego Luna as the one who's chasing chasing them. Uh, it's got Michael Parks and William H. Macy in supporting roles who pop up. That's really it for names in the cast. Uh, and I believe that that, that description is fairly accurate of what the film is about. I don't know. What, what, what did you think of this film, Colin? I don't know really where to start. Um, well, this film doesn't really know where to start. Uh, I thought it was... Strange. I don't know if strange is the right word. Just kind of very mediocre. Um, it's it's sort of is set up like a I don't I don't even know what the genre is like a father revenge story. Yeah. You you think that's the way it's going to go, but it doesn't quite go that way because there's nothing to avenge. I think it's it's set up as a. Uh, an anti-hero, the reluctant return to crime. Um, it, it doesn't really end up being that. Um, it's sort of a road film, but sort of not. Uh, it's sort of about Mel Gibson's character, but it's sort of not. Um, <laughs> it's true. It's sort of an action film, but it's not really an action film. There's there's some social commentary in there, but it's not very good. Uh this film just does is sort of a mishmash of a bunch of things uh and it doesn't it wasn't compelling for me it's it's not awful it's not unwatchable but the scenes especially the parts of the film without mel gibson in them are ju- are are pretty bad like yeah. the the beginning of the movie i I was like, this is awful. I'm not gonna <laughs> like this film. Yeah. And it got a little better. Um, and there's some, there are some really enjoyable moments. Uh, it just, they always happen when um, the character of the daughter, played by Aaron Moriarty, is off screen. Uh, so, I, you know, I there's something charismatic about Mel Gibson, his performances. It's it's undeniable. Uh, this film almost borders on like a sort of self-reflective apology, but then it doesn't even it doesn't really yeah. go doesn't end up going that direction. You're right. Totally. So I don't know. This was a strange film. You know, I enjoyed I enjoyed Mel Gibson's performance. Uh, you know, full disclosure, I, I he's maybe a deplorable human being, or maybe he just has a drinking problem. Um, but undeniably is a charismatic actor and uh, an excellent director. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I I would never recommend that anybody see this film. Like, if you are like blind roulette into this film, there are worse things you could have watched. But <laughs> right. in, as far as intentionally watching this, don't just don't bother. Go find something else. Th- this is a film that I would recommend to certain people that I know might enjoy type of film put it that way I wouldn't I didn't particularly enjoy it for a lot of the reasons that you said I I don't disagree with anything that you said I I can't put up an argument 
I can add to that argument. Uh, to me, this film is boring. It's it was billed as kind of an action thriller, and it's neither thrilling nor action e. There's it's it it feels like a road film drama with action set pieces. Uh, did you see his 2012 movie, Get the Gringo? I have not. That film, I, I kind of forgot about it. I was looking at his past. That movie, is much more action, makes a lot more sense, and it's a lot funner. Th- this film felt like Bird on a Wire and Edge of Darkness put together. There, it's It has bouts of humor. There are parts that are amusing and funny, but it never it never embraces humor. It's never laugh-out-loud funny. It's never quirky or weird. It's pretty straightforward. It's it's pretty... It's hard to explain the plot of this film because the plot itself doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you really start to measure the actions of the daughter versus the actions of the people who are out to get her. So, it's on the surface, I, I think the film might have been a good idea. I think it may have had an interesting premise or the potential to be something with Mel Gibson in the lead. If Diego Luna had a, maybe a larger part in the movie, or if Michael Parks' character would have been the villain, uh, where, where you have Mel Gibson's past, his, his character's past creeping up on him, there could be a good potential allegorical tell, tale of, you know, your past mistakes coming to ruin your future. I, I don't know. There, there's a lot that could have been done with these characters that just, it didn't, it, did, it just didn't fall through on anything. And like you mentioned, there are some just blatant, <laughs> over-the-top, hit-you-in-the-head social commentary that is fine to have in there, but you can do it in a more nuanced way I feel uh, yeah I, I would say that this film is probably a C minus it's not it, it, my biggest problem is it's just not fun I didn't have fun watching this movie yeah like Get the Gringo is not a good movie but watching Get the Gringo I enjoyed the action I was from the very start I was with the characters and, and had fun and I just don't feel like this movie ever hits a stride and stays with it but I, I don't know. Do you want to move on to spoilers? Anything else you want to mention? No, I mean that that's that's pretty much pretty much it. Uh, yeah. I think that overall, Mel Gibson, Mel Gibson's talent will always come through in almost any project <clears throat> that he really puts. He, see, he's not like Bruce Willis who will just make make a movie like this and just not give any effort or. You know, just collect a paycheck. I feel like Mo Gibson's always trying to do something, and unfortunately, this film just wasn't enough. Yeah, no, no performance could save this script. Like I've said a million times. So, all right, let's uh, let's go ahead and move on to spoilers. So, if you don't want to hear spoilers for Blood Father, stop listening now. What, honey? Wow, are you kidding really? me? You just ruin it every oh, time. Uh, I'll see you at home. Well, wait a second. Oh, and we're back with some spoilers, Colin. There's nothing like 
the the very first frame of this movie, I was rolling my eyes. <laughs> very first frame. Because they have they have her buying ammunition, right? Yes. If you're gonna make the introductory shot of this conveyor belt and all these sporadically placed ammunition boxes, at least put the kind of ammunition you would buy to shoot another human being there. Right. Like, you know, you're gonna do that, like have enough attention to detail to put hollow points instead of FMJ rounds. <laughs> like, just... Uh, uh. And then, it's just... The beginning of the movie is so contrived and tries so hard. Yeah. And I'm just waiting for her to decide to shoot the boyfriend instead. And oh no, she accidentally shoots accidentally him shoots in the him. neck. Even though... I really want to say I saw the bullet enter his forehead That's what I thought time. too. Yes, I... We didn't care enough to go back and rewind for I continuity. I was this close, but I was like, I don't want to do this. Um, because, yeah, fuck that. Uh, God, her her character is so unredeemingly annoying that I really, really, really wanted her to die so Mel Gibson could become the ultimate badass and go on a rampage. And instead, they just sort of hint at his badassery and he doesn't do anything until that weird motorcycle sequence. Um, that was it was that was so to weird. The ter- Terminator Two, right? Yes. Like, it, and it was reload. It, just. It, but here's the thing. Like so, he shoots the one guy with a sawed-off shotgun. Mm-hmm. The other guy is shooting at him with a pistol. She's got a sawed-off shotgun. Fine, the guy wrecks. The other guy goes past him. Oh, look. Magic truck there. Yeah, boom. Yeah. I, I'm just like, what? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that scene other than... You, Poor, I mean, poorly directed is probably... Yeah, just, yeah. just cut that scene out, didn't it? I, here's the other thing, and I, and I mentioned the action set pieces... He kills, so he kills those two guys. He kills Michael Park's character. Maybe. I mean, maybe. I mean, it looks like he shot him in the chest. Yeah. But he shoots him. Let's assume he's dead. So that's okay. three people that are dead, right? Yeah. He's, he's killed three people. He blows up two other people. Yeah. And shoots one other person in the head. And then kills the guy at the the, the main guy at the end, right? Uh, the... The hitman shoots him in the face. Eight bodies, nine bodies, like that's all we get. Well, shit, I wasn't disappointed with that. They make such a he makes such a big deal for characterization that he's not trying to kill anybody, right? Through a lot of the film, yeah. he kind of has opportunities to kill people. When he finally does kill somebody, it's just unceremoniously on a motorcycle in this sequence yeah. that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. There's no... That's a good point. There's there's no journey or growth or... There, he doesn't have to, to finally come to terms or make a decision. There's just such an empty, empty switch to him being willing to kill. And then he just sort of shoots people after that. And they don't address it. It doesn't mean anything for the characters. It was It was so annoying. Like... The, the beginning of the scene, or the beginning of the action where his, uh, oh man, trailer is being shot up. Yeah. You know, he, 
he doesn't kill anybody. He yeah. shoots at them on purpose. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, I don't know. It, it just, it doesn't, just a, a confusing choice. Um, the uh, Even, so, I don't think any of the action choreography is particularly good. No. It doesn't, also doesn't necessarily make sense, some of the stuff that's happening. Like, he shoots the Sicario while... While moving, with a handgun, while wounded. Yeah. From, like, a, a disadvantaged position. Yeah, like he, a lowered position. He, he hits, and then, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Well, it, yeah, I, it, it, the action was, was poor. And that's the, the, to me, that was the biggest disappointment. I was looking forward to an action film. That's why I kind of brought this up. I'm like, man, this might be right up your alley. Mel Gibson, he's back. Like everything I'd heard, everything I'd read is like, oh, he's back. It's an action movie. Like, to me, this wasn't an action movie. Like I said, this was a drama with action set pieces. The the, the action at the beginning, where the, like he's in the shootout with the the gang and his daughters, like it never felt like real because he's not going to kill them. He's shooting at them. Like, yeah. To, to like scare them off, it just it was silly. It was silly to me. Well, I I enjoyed that because it it set the stage for him being like the omega badass, right? He's he's sort of like you know he's being proactive, but he's not really concerned about these guys. Yeah, like and that's then, true. they don't they don't do anything with it. You know, like make up make up your mind. How what what is this character? Why wouldn't you? Uh, this is just me. If I don't know, I feel like if 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 I was in the writer's shoes, director's shoes. I would have had it be some kind of one-on-one hand-to-hand combat where he just kicked their asses, dis- dismantled their guns, and shoot them along. That to me would have been way more fun than I, than what we got. Well, I the, just... So the the problem, I mean, the movie couldn't decide whether or not it wanted to be realistic or not. Yeah, portray that's true. violence realistically. Uh, the other problem is it's it's an adaptation of a novel, so uh, you are I didn't know that somewhat beholden to the source right. material, uh, but. Figure out how to make that work for your movie. Don't yeah. don't just don't just bore us or disappoint us. Um, I did think the one bit of social commentary and one of the better scenes is when Michael Parks gives that creepy stare monologue to the daughter. I kind of enjoyed that scene, but I could listen to Michael Park Michael Parks do almost anything. Kind of, but then. It feels really malicious, but then they just go to sleep, and then yeah. they're waylaid by the woman the next... Mm-hmm. It's not like it's already too late when he gives that really foreboding malicious speech, and like they go to leave, and they can't leave. Right. They don't, they don't, they don't do anything with the momentum from that scene. No. you're right. They just reset, and then... <laughs> For some, I hate, you know what pisses me off, and this is such a dumb thing, is movies in which shotguns are fired, and the shotgun magically alternates between slugs and shot. Yeah. Like, if you're going to put a shotgun in the movie, make it shoot shot. You know, Jesus Christ, like, be consistent. Yeah. You know, that, I don't know. I definitely agree with what you're saying, though, that I don't notice that probably as much as you do as you would but uh, there are certain I can think of certain films that that do that and it's really annoying especially when you're shooting through something like a floorboard or well it's just it's when it's like 
the the Sicario comes out of the hotel room with a shotgun, shoots the cop with a slug, and then turns to fire on the car, and And suddenly they're shot in the shotgun again, sort of. I don't know. I'm with you. I I mean, there is is such a thing as, like, selective loading for home defense, where you put, like... You know what? It doesn't matter. You know, it's it's just. Hey, you're you're allowed to be annoyed. Pay attention to your your production consistency, assholes. I but yeah, I was really disappointed with. I, I really would have liked to seen Michael Parks's character as a villain. I think it would have been way more interesting if the group of bikers are coming after his daughter because. He his past. He didn't come back to the gang. He got sober. Wanted to live a different life. That would have been more compelling to me. I just I never felt that this Mexican cartel was powerful because he undercuts them and goes straight to the guy's uncle that he somehow magically knows. No, I think he goes to a rival cartel. Is that what it was? Yeah. Okay. It still was kind of just like yeah. It's convenient. Convenient. Well, it's convenient that this random white guy who went to jail defending his probably white supremacist <laughs> yeah. biker gang right. is magically best friends with this highly ranked cartel figure who runs the prison. Yes. Just whatever. It's probably in the book. You uh, know? Yeah, I'm, su- I'm, sure the, I'm sure the book does a better job of explaining that situation. But, you know, this movie's only an hour and 38 minutes, so it doesn't have a lot of time to deal with that stuff. And why would it? Because we have a a brooding father trying to protect his stupid daughter. Who, he's, but he's not really brooding. He's not brooding. Yeah, that's, that's, he's kind right. of like Mel Gibson has played plenty of brooding characters, but this guy is I guess just he's sort more of aloof. Yeah, yeah. Inter- interesting, interesting uh, comeback for Mel Gibson. Not what I expected. Well. I, Honestly, it's not it's not a comeback though, right? We but it's being built that way. If you read Metascore, so just I've just clicked on the Metascore. So here we have as come comeback projects go, Bloodfather is stellar. That's the Guardian. I don't why. I mean, for, also I think I just Aaron Moriarty was not good in this film. I don't think <laughs> no, she's a no. good actress. Um, so he. I mean, Edge of Darkness was his comeback. Then he was in The Beaver. Then he was in Get the Gringo. Then he was the bad guy in Machete Kills. Yeah. Then he was the bad guy in Expendables 3. How is this his comeback? I don't... Yeah, the, all, those movies are fairly new movies. Like, I don't... You're right. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he went... He went seven or eight years between, like, Signs and The Singing Detective and Edge of Darkness... But after that, he's been making movies consistently for six years. Like, how is this his comeback, man? Good question. I... Edge of Darkness was what this movie, what I thought this movie was going to be. And that was his comeback. Yeah. Yeah, correct. Whatever. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything else to say about this film. I, I, I'm sorry for convincing you to watch it because I was pissed at myself while I was watching it. You know, I'm, so I didn't watch the trailer Mm-hmm. Hoping that that would somehow make me enjoy the film more, and uh, <laughs> didn't. I guess that that was didn't really matter. I didn't watch the trailer either. Uh, I was really going on word of mouth from people I trust. This makes me just want to watch Payback. Really? Yes, yes. Payback is classic 
Mel Gibson, and that's how you, that's how you write a movie. Do you know that film has a forty-six Metascore? Wow, no, that is surprising. That film is way better than this one. Like leaps and bounds better. Even even the the uh, regular cut, even the the theatrical cut. Yeah. The director cut, director's cut, or whatever. I don't remember what the the second cut is. I don't remember what they call is it. The the dark cut or something. Yeah. I, that is that is better than the theatrical cut, but they're both way better movies than than this. <sighs> I don't know what to say about that. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm done with Bloodfather. Do you want to um, talk about next week? Yeah, I feel like... I feel like we have to go see Blair Witch. Um, you, you don't sound enthused by it. Well, uh, I mean, Adam Wingard, we've been watching his stuff. We've been yeah. enjoying his stuff. And... There's already a consensus, and it's not good. It's not good. So I, not, I mean, it's not good. This, this is a, this is a great review from Peter Hartslob of the San Fran Chronicle. Even if there were no witches in the world, these idiots would probably get taken out crossing a busy street. <laughs> oh God. Um. Yeah. So I. I feel like we have to go see this. Like, I I agree. I will see Snowden this weekend as well. Um, which is not any better, getting reviewed any better. Right. Almost exactly the same, actually. Yeah. Bridget Jones' Baby. Highest theatrical release <laughs> film this week. Adam. No, I would not have seen that coming, that's for sure. It, I'm not, I don't have a ton of faith in Oliver Stone. And I kind of want to talk about Oliver Stone next week, uh, prior to what, maybe uh, discussing our review. But I don't know. I to me, this is, would be this is kind of an important film, and I, I I don't know. I'm kind of disappointed, and I don't know. I don't know what to think. I'm torn. I really am torn. Dude, Don't Breathe has a 71 Metascore. A 71 Metascore. Man, like, well, dude, it's like we said, you can't always trust it. You can't always trust it. We've, we've talked about it and we'll continue to talk about it. You can't always trust it. But it's a, it, it's kind of one of those things where we, we're not real sure what we're going to see, but I would say we're probably going to see Blair Witch. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like we have to give it a chance. Yeah. I'm just disappointed that it's a <laughs> ended up being a Blair Witch sequel instead and of being the woods. Yeah, instead of being the woods. Not that I was like super excited about the woods, but uh, yeah, I'm just not not looking good. Where's <laughs> let's let's uh, go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, did, you, did you have something else you wanted to mention? No, I was just so I was just curious about. Oh, Snowden actually has a higher Metascore than Blair Witch. So interesting. But I'm I'm just not really excited to see that either. Honestly, I mean, I feel like Oliver Stone hasn't had anything new to say in so long that yeah, I just don't really care. Well, this was tailor made for him. Uh, the Snowden story. 
and I, I have heard people say that, uh, I mean, Citizen Four was one of those experiences that I'll never forget. I, I watched it on HBO. I don't know if you caught the, the documentary. Uh, I would recommend that. Anybody out there, Citizen Four, it's the Snowden documentary where he hands off the the files to, uh, was it the Daily Mail or the Guardian? WikiLeaks? No, he handed it out to Glenn Greenwald in, uh, oh. uh, I, I think, one of those British newspapers. But whatever. We will, uh, we're going to end this episode. We'll talk about what we're going to see. Probably going to be Blair Witch Project or Blair Witch, whatever it's called. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Midnight Film Review. We will catch you on the flip side. Okay, bye.